Welcome to the Atlanta Legacy Makers Podcast. I'm Floyd Hall. Dr. Dax is an ambassador for Atlanta's creative culture who has made his impact as a visual artist. In this conversation, I chat with Dr. Dax about his start in graffiti, his connections to Atlanta hip hop, and the intentions behind his art practice now. Dr. Dax, how you doing? I'm doing extraordinary today. How are you doing? Man, I'm great. I'm glad to have some time with you today. And you're such a beloved and well-known, you know, figure in Atlanta's arts and culture community. But I'm curious as to sort of how you got your start. Like, what is your Atlanta origin story? Well, I moved to Atlanta after visiting in 84. My brother and father lived here in Atlanta and I got to visit them from South Florida in the Everglades in the Golden Gate area. So coming from that uh, environment into this environment was truly exciting. And uh, I was able to move here a year later, which was 1985. And um, just showing up here, it was just, I was very enthusiastic, but uh, I ran into a lot of culture, you know, and the development, the beginning developments of Atlanta culture, especially when it pertains to style and music and lifestyle. Most people talk about 96 being the dividing line between pre and post Atlanta, old Atlanta versus new Atlanta. But for you going back to 85, how'd you put down roots? Kind of tell me how you began to, to navigate your way around Atlanta. I'd say first and foremost was showing up to school, which my first school I attended was Morningside Elementary, which is an Atlanta public school. Showing up there was, uh, I wouldn't say it was culture shock, but I was kind of like overwhelmed by, uh, Everybody was so into their, their their shoes and fashion and like even matching and like, and uh, culturally it was different, you know, uh, Atlanta's very black and white. And I came from a, more of a mixed situation. My stepfather's Puerto Rican. We live next to a lot of Mexicans and Cubans and Haitians. And so I, I was kind of a little more, came from a little more international. My parents are immigrants too. So it's like, you know, showing up to Atlanta was just a little bit different. People were more rooted here. People had been here for generations and stuff. That was like a, kind of an overwhelming thing, but mostly I would say just culture, you know, people were really, really into their music, um, you know, extracurricular stuff like sports, skateboarding and punk rock. And there was just a lot of thriving cultures, but kind of all separate, you know? But for me, I was just like a sponge. I just wanted to learn. I showed up wearing shoes that were called jocks with Velcro. You know, I remember that was like one of the first things everybody kind of just knew I wasn't from Atlanta right off the rip was my shoes and just kind of how I carried myself and the way I dressed. But I immediately just, um, you know, I saw graffiti too. So I was just kind of like, man, I want to, I just, I just knew I was part of it already. I just knew that this was my calling. It was just, it was like a God given message or something. And, uh, you know, just moving on, just like hanging out in neighborhoods, you know, I would hang out on uh Ponce de Leon Boulevard, little five points, Virginia Highlands, Lenox mall, you know, Marta was, developing at the time too it, it already started developing but they were adding more end of the line stations so you were able to tap in further they were adding more bus routes so having access to marta as well you know well before i was 16 i was able to just go anywhere and um i noticed a lot of people didn't really like going everywhere here a lot of people hadn't tapped into the beauty of marta you know people stayed in their neighborhoods but i kind of found a beauty in that because i found i had all these different scenes and worlds everywhere you know, just going from Boulevard to Little Five Points was just, and even through Cabbage Town, is just like different worlds. And I was able to tap into all of them and learn a lot. 
And, um, you know, I was very excited to start being, I didn't really know that I was even calling it culture at the time. I just know I was wanting to be a part of all these things. And, um, I, I don't know through charisma or personality, I was able to tap into a lot of places that people who had been here their whole lives or generations weren't even able to tap into. I was kind of like a chameleon in some ways. And, uh, I started learning a lot. And then, um, you know, as I developed creatively, I was able to add to the culture here, which I felt like even though I wasn't born here, that I still kind of helped change the, the face of this place in many ways and, um, and, had, and have an influence. And that was really special to me, especially being so young, you know, being, you know, everybody wants to be a part of something. And some people never find that their whole lives and to be like 10, 11, 12 years old and, you know, just so heavily being involved in everything and being welcome, you know, just, uh, it's just a natural thing. I think I was, everything that happened was exactly what it was supposed to. It was just fate. So that's like my early beginnings and was able to just network, you know, hanging, just being out, just being present was it. If you were just, just not hanging out inside your house, you just stepped outside, you were about to be around some shit, you know? And, you know, like Bubba Sparks will even say like, I'm like the Forrest Gump of hip hop. He was like, you didn't even know anything about anything, but you ended up just meeting all the right people at the right times in the right places. And I told him, I was like, yeah, I was like, there's nothing special about me. I just showed up. That's it. Just being present was everything. Well, let's talk about your artistic path because most folks know you as a visual artist. You mentioned graffiti earlier, um, but if you drive around Atlanta or even other places, folks know you've expanded your work into doing murals. But back in the early days, when did you first see visual art as a path for you? What was it about it that, that spoke to you? My artistic path and where I'm currently at now began when I visited Atlanta in 1984. And my brother took me on Marta to go to Lenox to play video games. My dad kind of just wanted us out of the house. And uh, as we rode Marta, I just instantly started seeing the graffiti out the windows on all the rooftops of old factories. You know, Atlanta was much more industrial back then, even abandoned factories and stuff like that. But as soon as I saw it, I was mesmerized by it. My brother told me that it was called graffiti and, uh, I just, man, that was it. I found my calling right then and there. And I went back to Florida. I started drawing immediately. And uh, when I got back to Atlanta, I started tracking. When I moved to Atlanta, I started tracking down graffiti writers. And I learned that this was a serious culture. And I didn't have any plans on making money with it. I didn't have any plans at all. I just was kind of just going with my gut instincts and following my heart with it. And it just led into me just doing a lot of graffiti in many places my whole life. It's been something that is a... Uh, I live minute by minute. It never leaves my mind. It's always the essence of kind of everything I do. And as I got into doing it almost even 20 years in, you know, people started wanting to pay me to do it. And um, I wasn't really keen on that at first because it's just not something we do for money in, in the graffiti culture. Sometimes it can even be frowned on getting money for it. You know, it's just kind of something we do for passion. And uh, I've been able to keep my integrity within it because I still keep my graffiti raw and I keep my fine art, fine art. And um, I, I kind of separate them a little bit, even though the foundation of the styles and techniques and stuff root from graffiti and I use them in my fine art, but it all just ties together. And um, if it wasn't for graffiti, I wouldn't be doing what I do now. I didn't go to art school and I didn't do very good in art class in school. So it taught me everything. So it's kind of like, almost like an urban folk art program of some weird sort you know and uh i just uh by the grace of god i'm able to do this for a career whenever i see your work i feel like there's a certain level of thoughtfulness though 
around what you're putting out into the world. And so I wonder if you could maybe speak to your your thinking, how you how you take in information, how you see the world, because I feel like that has some impact on what you put back into the world. And so I wonder if you could maybe sort of speak to how you think through your work and what you decide to put into your work as far as messages and just thoughts. Yeah, with my work, I uh, portray hyper positive messages, but I'd say the foundation and first and foremost part of it would be funk and style. I'm trying to uh, add decoration and aesthetic and color to the city, which it's a little more colorful now, but just throughout time, it's been a lot of brick. You know, we got a lot of nature and trees, of course, and cement, but not like quite like South Beach would be, you know, I always liked all the pastel colors. Even like I said, I lived in neighborhoods with Cubans and Haitians and stuff where people paint their houses pastel pink. And I came from a little more colorful world. So one of the contrasts that I noticed immediately coming here was that there wasn't a lot of color here, just aesthetically and just decoratively. So I've, I've always been really into adding color to the city. And I've always noticed the no matter what I'm painting, it could be abstract or just some letters or my name, whatever. But I've always noticed when people see it, they've always taken really well to the, the vibrance of it and the hyper colors. Moving on from there, though, I was always painting my name. Graffiti kind of like an ego-driven sport. And uh, you just paint your name over and over. And it's about how many different ways and styles and places you can do it. There's many levels to that. But I started wanting to not just paint my name. I wanted to start, you know, expressing myself i felt like i had a voice this is the same type of mentality that advertisers have with billboards and things like that so i noticed that i was getting so much notoriety i was very noticed and it was just kind of like now what and uh you know throughout time you know living in any city but even atlanta you know dealing with police brutality and you know all the stuff that comes along with being in urban environments i felt like that i could you know pass on some positivity and I started putting these positive messages that I come up with whether I'm drunk or I just have some sort of uh revelation you know and I'll just write it down and I'll make it into a piece of art and I try to do it in a public space by all means and I've realized that this has really helped a lot in a lot of ways it's been inspirational in a positive way there's a lot of negative influence in our city especially within our culture and I have been a part of that as well so I think also putting out positive messages is kind of like me redeeming myself on some of the lifestyles that I have, uh, I've influenced others to live and glamorize. So this is my redemption. Now you came to Atlanta in the eighties and I think you lived through some of the really culture rich, uh, time periods of the city. And, you know, you're someone who I think tends to make friends wherever, wherever you go. Um, so I'm I'm wondering um, if you could take us back to um, how you began to connect to Atlanta's hip hop community, and in particular, um, you know you're heavily tied in with the Dungeon Family, um, legendary hip hop crew in Atlanta. Uh, for those who don't know, we're talking about Outkast and Goody Mob and Killer Mike and Organized Noise, obviously, but just you know some of the luminaries of Atlanta's hip hop community. Um, who was the first member of the Dungeon family that you met? And how did you all connect? First person in the Dungeon family that I met was Cujo Goody from the Goody Mob. And I met him, I was working in a commercial picture framing place that was kind of a warehouse environment. 
And there was a guy on the loading dock named Mel, and he was an old Crip. He, I think he was even like 42 years old when I met him. But he had been a Crip from the 70s into the 80s and came to Atlanta to kind of start a new life. And I really just took well to him for some reason. We would uh, make money beyond work and, you know, and some street hustling type stuff. So me and him were just, we had a job together, you know. So we'd always, like, get off work and try to figure out how to make more money. And then he one day was just like, on a lunch break, was like, hey, let's roll to the studio. Can you give me a ride over there? I want you to meet these Goody Mob guys. And I was like, Goody Mob? Like, that shit just rang right off the right off the rip. So he takes me down to the studio, and Kudrow was there, and the other guys weren't. But I remember um, him showing, like, the cover art for Soul Food, and it was, like, the Tabasco sauce cover at the time. He even gave me – I don't think he gave me a CD, but he gave me some sort of, like, a – I don't know, like an advertisement that was going to come out with it. And I don't know, I was just really blown away by him and his character and, and the, the respect that he demanded, you know. And I met a lot of cats like that back in Atlanta back in those days. But it, it was a moment that stuck with me for a long time. And uh, I didn't think anything too much of, like, becoming friends with him or anything. I was just a moment in time on a lunch break with an old crip, you know. From there, I met Sleepy Brown through a girl. And then I met Gip at like, I think it was, it wasn't Mosley Park. I can't remember the name of the park, but there was like a jazz festival when I met Gifts. I started meeting all these guys separately. And then people would be like, yeah, they're Dungeon Family. Or they would say, yeah, I'm Dungeon Family. And I was just like, oh, it's like a crew, you know? And I was familiar with that through graffiti as well and being a member of crews. Then from there, I just kind of started hanging out with uh, Sleepy a lot. He liked to party and he liked to go to like some of these Studio 54 club situations we had going on here that were a little more exclusive, not that they weren't all in the know. And from there, I just started hanging out more and more. And I think I met like Witch Doctor at the dude Poncho Grady's house, also separately. And then there was one moment where I got a call from Hannah Kang and she was like, hey, these guys want you to be in their video. And I was like, oh, sick. I'll come down there and it ended up being the black ice video which was goody mob featuring outcast and that video was really a big moment in time and changed a lot of things too prior to that the only thing that you could see on tv like i don't even know mtv or any of these stations that played videos back then they'd play rap videos from california and new york and you saw like two live crew for a minute and then you saw like the ghetto boys but that kind of just kind of washed out and they weren't putting anything from atlanta on these things but I feel like that video was like the video that they started pumping on everything and being in it, it kind of changed my life too, because, you know, everybody can be seen in videos and TV and stuff these days. It's not that big a deal, but back then it was everything. So I remember even just being in Alabama at a gas station and just people being like, Oh, you're the white boy in the, the black eyes video, you know? And it was just like that recognition. And then it also folded over into like hustling in the streets. I would run into people who normally probably wouldn't even look at me or give me time of day. They started wanting to know who I was and what I did. And then from there I had a, like a, it was almost like a line of credit in the streets. Like I could just go to any big time drug dealer and be like, Hey, I want to work. And they would be like, Oh yeah, you're the fucking guy in the outcast goody my video. You must be all right. So it was just a really pivotal time. And I feel like it, like life was turning around for all of us, but going on from there, that video was like the day that like the whole dungeon family, like took me under their wing and started asking me to go on tour buses and show up and hang out their houses and even eat Thanksgiving and all this type of stuff. It's just like, we instantly clicked as family. I think at this point we started realizing that uh, we had a lot of similarities that was being hyper creative, being individual and stylistic. So I think those were the the foundations of what made us all connect and kind of be one.
and had nothing to do with race and all that. And that was kind of a good feeling at the time because everybody was so separate. And I liked, uh, I liked the fact that we were all not just tolerating each other racially, but actually becoming really good friends and having true love for each other and caring about each other and also making money together, growing creatively. All these things were very important to us because I think prior to that, these weren't the most popular things to be in Atlanta. You know, Atlanta, like a lot of cities, you know, playing sports and drug dealing is usually the coolest shit. And uh, Atlanta was no exception to that, I don't think, at least the way where we were growing up at. So you've seen a lot, and that's a bit of an understatement when it comes to Atlanta culture over the last 25, you know, years plus. So having seen what we call culture, you know, from the inside out, if you will, I mean, you, you've seen so much of that. How do you look back on that span of time? How do you compare where Atlanta was in 95 or 2000 to where we are now in, in 2020? Yeah, seeing culture and being a part of culture and experiencing cultures could be many different things. And like you said, I experienced it inside out. I wasn't just like at concerts in the crowd or just like a spectator from the street, you know, all the way from like, you know, hustling and really being in parks and projects and neighborhoods, get really getting to know people. And when you make money with people, you bond. Money is a real bonding thing. So I got to bond with people at a really young age. And then also being in the graffiti kind of just linked me in as a, uh, as a factor, I think, in the culture, even though I didn't rap. But I think like hustling, you know, selling dope, being involved with that, and then mixing that with being really good at graffiti and doing a lot of that and spending my time on that and not in strip clubs and not flexing and all that shit. You know, that's like a, I look back on all that fondly, but I was able to not just experience the culture as a spectator, but actually be a developer and also be around people as they were developing theirs and put in my two cents and and add my flavor to what people were doing, whether it was the way we talk or dress. And uh, that influence, I started noticing that I had a heavy influence in it. So moving on from there in the early 2000s, you know, the art scene was, there's always been an art scene here. There's always been fine art galleries, but as far as it pertains to like street art and graffiti, this place really was non-existent, you know? There was nobody showing this stuff. Faye Goldhead showed like Basquiat and like Sharp and Delta in the, in the mid eighties, but it never really went anywhere from there. And I think that it didn't have anything to necessarily do with street art or graffiti. Those guys had just built enough names to do gallery shows here. But I feel like in the, as the 2000s progressed, there was like a renaissance, especially with like, I would say black youth being more involved. People like Paper Frank kind of started making it cool for the first time, which was something I was never able to do for some reason. Graffiti just was something that, you know, I would say nine out of 10 kids you told did graffiti didn't think it was cool at all. You know, they were not impressed. And as culture moved on, you know, we started seeing the emergence of a lot of young black artists, female and male, street art, fine art and graffiti. And that kind of helped escalate me again, even though I had a nice run but I kind of felt like I was running stagnant and that uh, I was making a lot more money out of town and it wasn't, wasn't necessarily a big deal because I was still working, but I was just like, man, you know, Atlanta just doesn't really have much of a place for me, even though I'm so beloved here. I don't make any money here. But I was also really excited about traveling all the time. But then as this renaissance happened, I started doing, getting invited to group shows again, and I was exposed to this whole new younger crowd of people that are really excited about art and it's continuing. So I'm starting to see a lot more people here lean towards 
doing something artistically, whether it be visual, directing videos, photography, you know, designing clothes, these type of things, and a lot less about trying to be, you know, maybe a producer or a rapper or in the music industry. Because for a long time, that was just the stronghold of what everybody did. Even hustlers would want to put their money into that. So music is like the end all of Atlanta culture at some extent, especially when it pertains to business. So with all that being said, given this renaissance currently, given where you came from originally, given even all the way back to to Florida, um, up to where we are right now in Atlanta for you and your life and your career, what are you most proud of when it comes to your art, your your cultural standing in the community, work that you've done, like what what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of, especially when it comes to art, which is everything. Um, I would say my longevity and my persistence and consistency, just being able to, to do this without any breaks has kind of just, it, it turns into like legend or myth and like iconic stuff. Not saying that down those things now, but it leads to those things someone who just was relentless at their craft and never stopped. I think this goes all the way back to even why I got along with the Dungeon family. They were relentless. These were a group of guys. When we would talk, we would get super excited, you know, like it would just be like, we would dream up these dreams and get so geeked up that we were like so creative and we could just think so far out the box. And like, there was no idea big enough. And then not only to be able to dream up these exciting big ideas and like kind of feed off this energy, but also figure out how to make these dreams come true. You know, a lot of people always have big ideas, but they don't act on them or execute them. And this was a bunch of guys that were not playing around and they all found each other. And even till this day, big boy, if he's not on tour doing something he has to, or, you know, he is in the studio. He has been relentless since day one. So it's like, you know, I do the same thing. It's just an everyday thing. And it's not even just being in a studio. I still like to do graffiti. I want to paint walls. It's not about money still. And to be able to do that for all these years and be able to never stop and never be stopped, that's everything to me. I look on that back on that very fondly. Not a lot of people have been able to pull that off in any genre. So big picture, um, thinking about Atlanta, thinking about this city that you've had a chance to see from many different perspectives, um, Atlanta and the word legacy, you know, when you think of those two words together, um, what comes to mind when it comes to Atlanta's legacy, um, right now, and I guess even in the years ahead? I think the legacy of Atlanta is kind of, uh, showing people how to live a different way. Uh, I don't want to say like a, in a new world or whatever, but Atlanta is so adaptable. I think even as Atlanta changes and the world changes, we kind of always, set the tone, the standard for what's possible. So I feel like Atlanta has been a place where people can show the rest of the world how to carry on life, especially in these times. Atlanta is a special place in that sense. You know, the people here, you know, and I think it's always been like this. When I moved here, there's just always been, there's always an obstacle in the world. And Atlanta has showed me how to maneuver through these obstacles very smoothly and to continue to move, maneuver through them. Nothing can really stop you. A lot of this stuff is really mind over matter. We always feel like, you know, obstacles are these huge walls we cannot get beyond, but they're not. They're just actually little orange cones you can jump over or walk around. And that's what Atlanta is. Any final thoughts? I think the main thing that's been on my chest lately is um, I want people to understand influence on different levels. 
influence can happen in many ways, you know, just even uh, the music you choose when you're in your car by yourself compared to when someone gets in can be different. We all know that. Um, it just goes into many things. Now we all look at our phones and we look at social media a lot. And I want people to be very aware that we can be wooed in so many ways. And a lot of the stuff people are posting is not their genuine thoughts or research or facts. And to take everything you see and hear and read very lightly and with a grain of salt or do more research, but do not be influenced. It's very important as human beings, as animals, that we follow our instincts. This is what we make our best moves. We navigate through life better when we follow our gut feelings. I think we all know that. Just want to let everybody know just to think for yourself, be open-minded, open your mind, focus, and do not be wooed and influenced by all this over information that is flooding into our eyes and ears and then back out our mouths. So we have to be careful because we also influence others. So if we're being influenced and it's not the proper direction we're supposed to be moving in and you're also passing on this influence, it's making everybody lost. We're all off our path and we must stay on our path. That's the only way we're gonna move forward and it's the only way we're gonna live in a better world. I just wanna leave the world with that. Atlanta Legacy Makers is an initiative led by Central Atlanta Progress and the City of Atlanta. Special thanks to our amazing partners, Atlanta Downtown Improvement District, Atlanta Public Schools, Constellations, Gene Kansas Commercial Real Estate, the Ivan Allen College of Liberal Arts at Georgia Tech, One Atlanta, and Supporter Report. Atlanta Legacy Makers is hosted and produced by Floyd Hall. That's me. Music by Smith & Cash. Last but not least, thank you, Atlanta.